0: Here's a guy here just in the nick of
1: time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just it's not a wig. Good evening. (laughs) (laughs) A pansexual was a witness to a murder. How useful would they be in the police inquiry? Come on, son, that's it. Put it in the bum. What about the other holes, Grandpa? the clothes, the body, the teeth. You look like a, a, a racist character act played by Rob Beckett.
0: Arthur. I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting.
1: You don't listen, to you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts?
0: All I have are negative
1: thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they can do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal.
0: For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed, but I do.
1: Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Hello and
0: welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Residence 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. and on this episode we have a special episode today where I interview stand-up comedian Tom Ward. He's on the show talking about his new stand-up tour anthem which is going is, is going to be in london on the 18th of november anyway here is tom ward Listening to shoot the breeze on resonance one hundred four point four FM I'm Marcus E Ako, and I'm here with a comedian that you would recognise on TV uh, from Live at the Apollo and roast battle. Uh, please tell us your name and how long you've been doing stand-up comedy.
1: My name is Tom Ward, and I've been doing stand-up for eleven years.
0: Eleven? Ouch! <laughs> That's a. Ouch! It's it's a it's a long long time. I have tons of questions I want to ask. Um, I've just started I'm five months in 11 years is like veteran status for me. So (laughs) we're going to be asking you tons of questions about that. So let me let me start off, first of all, with um, the film questions I asked you. I've asked you to give us five films uh, or five of your favorite films that were, uh, you know, about comedians or by
1: comedians. Which one did you decide to go with? I've got a bit of both. This is quite a tricky question. Yeah, I've gone, I've gone through films that were either made by comedians, so directed or, you know, written. I, and I, I feel like I've bent the question a little bit. So just because it's quite a tricky question, this, about comedians. I mean, I haven't seen that many films about comedians.
0: It's it's all, I, there are tons that I could, but that's, I don't put any, I don't expect anybody to have my level of what I've watched with films. So I've watched a ton of stuff that people may not have noticed. But you know, whichever, however you decided to interpret that question, that's what I want to know from you.
1: All right. Well, I've I've whittled it down, and I'm going to say uh, number five, Blue Jasmine, a Woody Allen film. Blue Jasmine. Okay. Good. About good. Kate, good. Kate, but now it's not about a comedian. It's a. It's just made by a comedian. Of All course, right? Woody and Allen. Yeah. Woody Allen. Uh, you know, he's known for being a comedian and and for other things as well. Um, and then I'm going to go for the Joker at four. At the, the the Joaquin Phoenix one, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. i absolutely loved that. Uh, so you want five and four. Is that all you five want? And right four, now? Yeah, five and four to
0: start off with. That's you know, very good picks. And uh, speaking of um uh, Blue Jasmine, that also has oh I currently he's again my brain has just gone to mush. Uh, another comedian in it, which is, he oh, was. Oh yeah, Louis in C 19- K. It has Louis C K. Um it doesn't Blue Jasmine also have oh, what's his name? He um he, he, very big in the 90s, 80s and 90s, used to have a leather jacket, um, his name's going to pop in my head in a second. And then I'm like, hey, it was him. Um, I'll I'll remember him later on. I think he plays, does he play someone's agent? I'll I'll, I'll remember it later on and it'll be fine. But that, one thing you'll know about me is, again, names don't stick in my head when I need them. So if, yeah. when it comes to when we're having conversation and when we finish this conversation and I walk away, I'll say, it's him, that guy. Anyway, but he'll
1: come to me. Yeah, but the rest of your call- day will just be a series of names just plopping into your head. Yeah, yeah. Walking when- down the street. <laughs> or
0: or when I'm on my deathbed and they're like, any last thing to say? And I start recounting <laughs> all of the different comedians that I, I, I yeah. I'm meant to mention in this conversation.
1: Dennis Leary, uh, James Van Der Beek. Uh, <laughs> James uh, Van Der Beek.
0: Uh, <laughs> that was Dawson's Creek. Uh, yeah. Okay, Let, let's talk about you. So um, I mentioned that you were at Live at the Apollo. Uh, let's talk about your career from 11 years ago Leading all the way up to Live at Apollo, and then uh, and obviously you you have more things that you're working on, like your show Anthem, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But let's talk about why did you start stand up comedy and how what was your progression going forward?
1: um why did i start is a tricky question but i guess i just uh, i have i was i was a singer in a band before so i guess i really liked being on stage and i like you know i didn't i didn't mind being in the center stage and the band didn't really work out and i, I for a long long time i'd assume that i would just wanted to be in a band and that would be it and so i yeah i dreamed of being in a big successful band and then you kind of meet the reality of things and yeah it was different to what i expected so <laughs> they uh they ended up kicking me out which was ter- like so shocking i was like what you're kicking me out i was like the singer and then you know so i was like oh, like i'm unsackable and so then i was just not in a band and i was just trying to work out what to do next and trying to do musical projects and uh meeting people and to try and you know make music and stuff and it wasn't really working and i didn't really feel that excited by it but I still had this idea that I still wanted to be a rock star. So, and then eventually someone said, you know, you're not making music. I said, yeah, 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 but I'm going, I'm going to. And she was like, well, if you really wanted to, you would be right. And so then I thought, yeah, I'm not really into this anymore. And then someone said, well, why don't you come and do uh open mic comedy? So I, I went down for a little look and this is about a year after I'd, you know, even touched anything with music and just had a little look to see what it was like. And it was like, oh, this is, so scary but yeah i just thought yeah, let's give this a go let's give this a go um so i came back the following week did my first little five five minute spot uh i don't think i lasted five minutes i think i just forgot everything after about two minutes because i was so nervous um but yeah
0: did you did you do it. the thing that a lot of comedians do where they write their set list on their hand uh because i've seen a lot of comedians do that i i don't do that i I try to memorize everything I need to go and do when I go on stage. But I see a lot of comedians who have been doing it for years, just write their set list on their hand. Do you do that?
1: Um, I have done, yeah. I don't know if I did the first time. I've probably had like a piece of paper or something. I think think what I used to do is print out my whole set. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I'd print out my whole set and walk around with like A4 sheets of paper that had been typed up and um, just go around the block a thousand times, you know, practicing, 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 practicing but then you cannot like you cannot prepare for the the sheer panic that ensues when you walk onto on stage and just the sheer like terror as you know because you're new
0: <clears throat> that and, feeling. What, and what's what's your ritual for going on stage because I, there's a particular thing i do i've been doing it since i've been doing the radio show where an hour before i go on air or i go on stage i take a shot of tequila uh and uh, oh really so yeah it's it i I love it no no lime no salt nothing just one shot and then and that burns in my chest and it's like yeah let's go do this and like the fire in the
1: furnace yeah
0: and whenever i don't do that i i i always have that feeling of ah it's not gonna go as well as i think what about yourself do you have any sort of like rituals that you do before you go on stage
1: um i stretch Uh, I stretch my body and I jump around and I sit down with a, I've got like a clipboard. I'll show you that. This is my clipboard and it has all my notes on it. And I sit there and I just go through the set and I put it in bullet points. Nothing as cool as tequila. Cool. That's, that's really cool. Uh, just careful it doesn't escalate into, you know, a bottle of tequila.
0: Yeah, it, 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 it'll graduate. But when five years in, it'll be like, yeah, hey, just have a bottle of tequila before you go on. And yeah. then 10 years, it'll be like an entire crate of tequila. And then it'll Coke. be like, ah, yeah. just, we, we couldn't keep carrying the bottles around. So we just went to Bumps of Coke and then went on stage. Yeah. And that would be yeah, yeah, yeah. VH1 behind the scenes.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you think you're the best thing in the world. But actually, when you watch back your sets, it was like this horrible sweating mess rambling on not really listening to the audience's reaction uh, yeah
0: definitely, absolutely Um, uh, okay so you you've you, so you started off based on a suggestion for you to get on stage yeah uh, did your five minutes and then it, it, one thing we forgot the five minutes obviously you didn't build up for five minutes and you've done a number of shows i will come to some of these shows that you've done in Edinburgh in, in a few minutes um at what point did you feel okay I've I've done a good. This is a solid five minutes. That is great. I'm happy to now move on to ten, and then fifteen, and then do something like thirty minutes, and so on.
1: I think probably about ten months in, maybe nearly a year in, I was starting to feel like the set was coming together. That I wasn't, you know, messing up too many things, forgetting things. I'd had a, my I'd snip my my hair a little bit so that it wasn't in my eye, so people could see me. I was more confident i was having like adding music and sound effects to the set so it felt more like a kind of it felt more fun and people were unexpected found it unexpected so about yeah 10 months to a year i found that my five minute set felt fairly good like i was excited by each bit you know
0: that's, that's good because that's a question a lot of people have been asking me it's like oh actually Funnily enough, the first question people ask me and it was my brother who comes with me every time um, I go and He's my bringer because we do a lot of bringer shows. Oh, yeah. uh, the one who always comes with me. And the one show a few weeks ago, um, literally about 10 minutes before I had to go on, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, when do you start getting paid for this? And it's like, this mm-hmm. is not a kind of question you're going to be asking me when I'm about to go on stage because I have mm-hmm. no answer for you. Um it, so, so that you can answer him and the rest of my family who keep asking me that question. Uh, in your experience, how long after you'd started from that first show that you did? Um, mm. How long did it take to get to your first paid gig?
1: What's your brother's name? Uh, Ella. Ella. Yes. Ella, listen, you got to pipe down because this is going to put far too much pressure on Marcus. <laughs> uh, you really got to get money out of the out of the equation here. This is not a linear. This doesn't fit your usual rules of success uh, in society. This is off grid. This is mentally disturbed behavior that Marcus is is, uh, is uh, displaying here, um, which is good. You need that for a comedian. You need to have, basically you need to uh, put aside all the usual rules of what it is to, to for the feedback loop to make sense. For months and years, Marcus is going to be trawling around the country for five minutes unpaid on the off chance that someone will give him 20 quid for 10 minutes and say, yeah, all right, go on. And then maybe in another three years time, that same guy will say, yeah, go on do 20, here's 50 quid. Uh, and, and then eventually, uh, you know, maybe 25 years in Marcus might be able to pay for a round again, but this is not about money. And this is about his journey. Into something deeper, a communion with himself and the world. So back off, Ella. All right.
0: Excellent. Although it kind of worries me that uh, I have to go 25 years before I can buy a round.
1: Uh, from um, what I've so. it may be less. I just don't want to get your hopes up. You're listening yeah. to
0: Shoot the breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm talking with comedian Tom Ward, who's about to do his. Uh, he's about to go uh, on tour with his set, uh, with his uh, piece. Anthem, which we will be talking about in just a second you'd recognize tom ward from live at the apollo from roast battle um and from his very unique haircut which you mentioned a few seconds ago about how one of the things that you wanted to do to to improve your stage presence was to trim your hair uh your hairline so that at least it doesn't cover your eyes and it's now yeah. it seems to have now become part of your your stage <laughs> persona <laughs> I'm sure because a lot of people, especially talking about roast battle, that was one of the main roasts that it that was shot at you about your hair. And I'm pretty sure yeah. you've had that constantly. So what made you decide to stick with that as a choice, as opposed to saying, I'm going to change my hair, my look, and so on?
1: Basically, I've had this hairstyle or something like it for, you know, since I was before before comedy, before music. So... But yeah at one point it was going across my eyes so it wasn't really conducive for people seeing me and then i was always flicking it in that kind of really annoying way and i was like oh, i can't yeah and i was wearing a hat on stage as well so the shadow would cover my face The thing is occasionally i'll sweep it back you know during the day or whatever and it does look better uh and people always say or my friends always say it looks so much better and people are almost surprised you know that they say oh you actually have quite a nice face <laughs> And I'm like, wow, is it that well hidden? And that, you know, in a way that's maybe good because uh, I feel a little bit um, full of myself when my hair's back. I've worn it on stage a couple of times and I feel, a bit, I feel a bit jazzy. And I don't think that lends itself to, you know, the humility of a comedian.
0: So you, you, you know that there is an active exercise you can perform to give you more confidence but you choose purposefully not to do that when you're going on stage. Is, well,
1: is that- I do feel really confident either way. I just, you have to factor in how you come across to other people and it, this is having my hair like this isn't, you know it isn't a contrivance that I'm living for the rest of the day in order to have those 20 minutes on stage. It's like, this is how I am. And I like all, you know, guitar bands and blah, blah, blah. And it's not like, it's not like I'm going against something. It's just um, I found that I, one or two occasions I've just like had my hair up anyway and I've gone to a gig and it just feels really weird. I think maybe, you know, you've got to, you've got to be aware of how you come across to people. And if you're tall and well spoken and you have a big quiff and, you know, people might just be like, who's, who's this wanker? Do you know what I mean? And um, if you're talking about, you know, I find that sometimes you're talking about stuff that's quite... Um, um sensitive in the culture you know you'll be talking about sexual identity or mental health or um anything to do with like sensitive issues in in the culture and you go on and you and you come across a bit high status it can just make people think that you're coming from the wrong side even if you're not so yeah i guess looking a bit silly helps
0: i don't that makes sense i think mark kermode the film critic might agree with you as well because he's tall and he has a the massive bouffant on his head and he gets mm. a lot of stick for it. But uh, anyway, yeah. let's move on. Speaking of films, let's move on to your number three and number two, favorite films.
1: All right. I'm going to go for King of Comedy as number three. With, uh, the uh, the Scorsese, Scorsese one. Era. Yeah. yes, yeah, okay. Scorsese, Jerry Lewis, mm-hmm. Bernhard, Bernhard, I, heard, I and Sandra Bernhard. Yes. Bernhard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazing film about a comedian. So that's a, a proper answer for you. That, that's good. It's good. And number two. <laughs> Uh, number two, I'm going to go for Jim and Andy, the documentary uh, about the making of Man on the Moon. Yes, so it's uh, and uh, and Perry. not uh, Andy Kaufman, yes. Andy Kaufman movie that Jim Carrey was in, and this is a documentary about the making of Man on the Moon, and it's just so good. Have you yeah, that? that's on Netflix. I've seen that,
0: and it's and mainly from from Jim Carrey's perspective, right, where he's yeah. talking straight straight to camera, talking about how mm. he felt possessed by. Uh, Andy Kaufman's spirit. Mm-hmm. And and when you hear about all the... Because back in the day, I'd heard about some of the things that he had done backstage, but because obviously he's filmed during the shooting of, of, of uh, Man on the Moon. And I don't know how he wasn't fired for all the stuff that mm. he did. Because obviously Andy Kaufman <laughs> being such a controversial figure as well, it's just... And Jim Carrey's now becoming Andy Kaufman. Um, oh, and then I remember the name of the comedian from uh, Blue Jasmine, Andrew Dice Clay. Oh
1: um, uh, yeah 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 yeah. So it just, it just it came to me. Anyway,
0: um great films that you've mentioned so <laughs> far. Um and I I love you, you brought Joker uh, the, uh, which is your fourth film and then mm-hmm. King of Comedy which Kind of has its spirit animal. It would be the two because, yeah. uh, Rupert Popkin is
1: supposedly the Joker, and so on and so forth, and Robert, yeah.
0: uh, Robert De Niro, etc. So great picks, fantastic yeah. picks,
1: and and they swap Robert De Niro plays the Jerry Lewis character in the yes. Joker to King of Comedy. So I, I love the symmetry there. Absolutely works. But it, it's it's one of the, one of the things that really drew me to to watching the Joker. I liked. I, liked,
0: I remember I watched it with a few friends. Um, and we walked out the cinema and I was like, that's a fantastic film. And both guys Mm -hmm. I went to go watch it with was like, I don't think you watch the same film as we did because we hated it. Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. That's really weird. But, uh, yeah. My
1: flatmate hates it. She said that it's, it's, it's not, yeah. She didn't like it at all. She didn't think it was good at all, but I loved it because I thought it was the Joker is basically a brilliant, uh, dissection of mental health as much as anything else. I love the kind of symmetry between the kind of decay of Gotham city and the decay of the Joker, you know, and and how, if you abandon things, what happens if you leave things, um, if you, if you, yeah. If you don't uh, treasure things and nurture things, they just, they turn, they, they turn feral. (laughs) And it's like, and yeah, I really related to that. I really related to that. I really want to
0: dive into dissecting that a little bit further because while I agree with you and I do agree with you because I really enjoyed the Joker and the themes that you've mentioned as well and I'm going to try and play devil's advocate and say (laughs) maybe one of the reasons why people didn't say I I say I don't want to dive into it because we need to talk more about your stuff but I'm slowly going into that topic so here's (laughs) what I'm going to do. We're gonna. I'm gonna put a button in the Joker conversation for now. Sure. Let's get through some of the conversation, the, point, the talking points we want to get through today, <laughs> and then if we have enough time, we'll jump back to the Joker. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko and I'm here with comedian Tom Ward, who is about to go on tour with his show Anthem. Let's talk about that. So, um, Tom, tell us what Anthem is all about.
1: All right. Uh, well, Anthem is. Um... I think it's mainly about personal identity. So class, sexuality, mental health. um, It's a bit about love as well, falling in love again for the first time in ages. Uh, And music, obviously, I have to talk about music with a show called Anthem. But yeah, the main themes are personal identity. And I think how we are selective about who we care about and also how people weaponize their own identity be it through um their sexual identity or their uh, mental health label and how yeah we're seeing that happen in the culture basically we we i think we're in a very narcissistic period where everyone's completely self-obsessed and and how sometimes often movements start well-meaning and then just turn into a kind of dogfight of people trying to mark themselves out as special or particularly victim, um, or whatever it is. So yeah, there's a lot about that. And then also how the climate narrative is being weaponized by advertisers and how they mislead us with greenwashing. And, uh, yeah, it's quite a lot going on. Wow. You see, you mentioned
0: a number of things that you targeted there. Um, we want to start, like, pull back a little bit on when you mentioned the movements that obviously, and I know exactly what you mean, where obviously a movement sparks from the need to address a particular social issue, and then it mm-hmm. gets bigger and bigger, and then it becomes, in a sense, it kind of emulates the same kind of problem that it was fighting against. It's kind of like the animal farm scenario with uh, the, the pigs... Uh, you know leading the revolution against the farmer in order for proper treatment of the animals, and then the pigs then become the oppressors of all the other animals as well mm. uh, what particular uh, movements do you target in your in your piece?
1: um victim culture um that's definitely that definitely feels like the currency or at the moment in terms of people marking themselves out. And I think that started with BLM, I think, though it's impossible to say where things start, and you know there's a whole gradual process you would you would imagine that you can't really see. But I think from that, you've got people who are kind of I think you see the benefit people are seeing the benefit of marking themselves out as an oppressed group. So you'll then have essentially middle class white people. Uh, desperately frantically looking around for something that marks them out as a victim as well or a a suffering so that's from what i can see it's like the mental health thing or the sexuality thing and i'm and i'm sort of suspicious of of people who are suddenly claiming to be queer when you know quite obviously they're just you know maybe they snog their mates at house parties or whatever and i'm like come on let's not be uh let's not be co-opting someone else's identity just so that you can feel a bit edgy and also so that people get off your back about being the top dog or in the you know and how people view the oppressor so there's a yeah there's a lot of that going on i think people sort of just dabbling with other people's identities and then the kind of ego trip of that and also how it just makes them feel like they're not the problem because look i'm i'm part of this minority group and it's like well you're not really let's see where you are in a couple of years time you know and usually they're sort of just reverted completely to type and, and,
0: and that this show anthem you've done you this is your fourth ed, you did it at edinburgh edinburgh fringe festival with edinburgh fringe festival edinburgh show your your fourth edinburgh solo show obviously yeah um what did you and I, i've been asking a number of comedians this about what they learned from their first edinburgh show Compared to the you know the, the most recent one they've done. So what sort of lessons did you learn with from your first to your fourth anthem?
1: Uh, the first one I did, I learned that the world doesn't give a shit. Uh, I thought I was the greatest comedian in the world, and then I went to Edinburgh and discovered that the yeah the world didn't really. I mean, some people loved me, and then there was a you know large amount of indifference. And uh, am I allowed to swear by the way? You can. Uh, my producer, producer Dave, is going to have a hell of a
0: time um, bleeping it. But it's all good. I enjoy giving him the work. I'm like, hey, you're not here. So it's all good. So I'm just going to tell him, listen to the entire episode and uh, feel free to bleep out whatever you want to. He's missed a couple which have really tickled me. So feel free to go. Hell for love
1: <laughs> Um Well, I'll try not to swear because I don't want your, your man there to be uh, to be overworked um yeah so the first hour i i uh the, I, I discovered that the world is is not that bothered by me particularly you kind of have a specialness thing and you, then you get there and you realize there's thousands of comedians all feeling special all thinking that they're the you know whatever and then you get reviewed and you i got my first reviews and there was a, a lot of three-star reviews so that was very chastening um and then second year uh was was very good And I discovered that a miserable year in your life can end with a good show. So I'd had a really miserable year um, where I'd been paranoid about bumping into my ex because I'd found out she was living near me. So I spent the whole year just walking around, basically looking for her. (laughs) Everywhere I went, I was like, is that her? Is that her? Is that her? Just the back of anyone's head. On the bus, I'd be looking down in the street. I'd go into the pubs. I'd heard she was a barmaid. At one point, I went in and said, Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z. I'm not even saying, does Jane work here? Um, and so I was pranging about that and living basically near where I grew up again. So I felt like I hadn't moved in my whole life. And um, yeah, so I was very on edge that year. And uh, But the show went really well. And um, so I thought, okay, so a bit of misery is all right and this third year i learned not to do three shows in a row that was the learning there uh, that show wasn't quite ready but it was also by day four it was finding its feet but then i read a review and it was a three-star review and then i just spiraled so my learning there was don't read your reviews tell everyone you know not to tell you your reviews uh, for good or for bad so yeah and in the fourth year um i learned that it's best to be dispassionate and that's
0: it. and that was anthem right so anthem which uh yeah. how what what dates do we have at the moment for anthem what dates yes do you have do you have the dates the dates and venues yet or do you have that yeah yeah, yeah. That you can save so and we will post it uh, along in the show notes as well as on instagram etc just for people who are listening and don't want to go and do research um what dates are
1: coming up pretty soon
0: and in what locations
1: well, the first one is on November the eighteenth in London, twenty one Soho. And the second one is in Nottingham on the twenty third of November. And the third one is on the second of December in Brighton. That's sold out. And then there's the seventh of December in Leeds. Um hang on, let me get my Um sorry, sixth of December is Leeds. Seventh of December is Manchester. And then the 8th of December is the second date in Brighton, which we added. And then there's a load next year as well.
0: Excellent. So you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Iacco, and I'm here with Tom Ward, a comedian, stand-up comedian, who is doing his comedy tour anthem. And he's just told us about it. He told us about a few dates. We're going to put the, uh, the dates and the locations in the show notes. So go and research, find out exactly where it is. Go watch his show. Very funny um now um we were talking about films by comedians of four comedians you've already given us your number five number four number three number two i want to keep number one for towards the end of this episode uh but i want to ask a few more questions uh and i will come back to that pinned question about the joker so we'll talk about that as well but i want to ask uh, about (laughs) support acts for your show so um I've been to other shows where obviously you have you know mm. to prep the crowd you get a support act that comes on and they, they warm up the crowd a little bit do you have anything like that if you do how do you get to pick your support acts what do you choose in a support act to go with your show
1: Well first of all I don't have support acts yet but I'm thinking about it I, I quite like the idea of going on cold I think it's quite a, a good challenge but um you know just in general for life i think it's a good uh it's a good muscle to build being able to just walk into a room of people and go all right all right the show's starting now and i can uh i'll be my own warm-up act you know i'll get you going don't worry about that i've been going 11 years and uh here's my first joke bang and off we go but it doesn't usually work like that You do, it does take a couple of minutes for people to warm up and just relax so um i might choose someone um I would choose someone that uh, makes me feel um, excited. Uh, that would be a rule. Someone that's a bit like, what is going to happen next? Uh, I like that rather than straight stand up. Um, yeah. I get- so, like a fire
0: breather, just, you know, or, yeah. or sword swallower is like, wow. Then have loads of blood and just the paramedics are taking him off stage. Then you come on, he's like, hi. And then you begin your
1: set. That's right. As, as the janitor comes on with the mop and just you know clears away the last of the uh, the intestinal blood, um, would no, you involve just, would you involve them? Would you involve
0: the janitor in your set as he's cleaning around you?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure. You'd have to. You'd have to. You can't just let it. you can't just let old Lenny come on in his brown coat and uh, not not bring him in. Of course.
0: Um, okay. Um, yeah. now, now let's ask this. Do you want to jump back to the films that you've picked? So now what is your number one favorite film by a comedian or about a comedian?
1: Uh, This is sort of bending the rules a little bit, but uh, I love, uh, I love Chevy Chase uh, a lot. Uh, so I'm going to have to go with Fletch as my all time uh, film. Uh, I th- it's not really about a comedian though. He is in it and he's, and he's uh yeah I just love Fletch so much I could watch it again
0: <laughs> so, there, so there, were, there were two Fletch films I
1: think there was Fletch and then
0: Fletch Lives I believe um it, yeah um,
1: one one yeah, Fletch Lives is not good I hate Fletch Lives
0: so that's the one where he goes to he, he, he goes down to south right he's in um he goes yeah. down to yeah backwater country essentially
1: yeah, yeah, he, he's like he, undercover for a dodgy church that's making money and, um, yeah, misleading their their uh, followers. It's fine, but the first one's just got that, you know, I just love it. He's an undercover journalist working on a staying on a beach and then some businessman. Uh, he's basically Fletch is pretending to be homeless on the beach uh, to infiltrate the drug gangs. <laughs> uh for a, for a journal for an article he's right he's doing and then a businessman spots him for his own operation not knowing that fletch is a journalist and hires him for his own purposes and then fletch is embroiled in in that now it's just so stupid I, uh but yeah i love it i love chevy chase i love his little wise cracks i love the way he's got he's a, got an eye for the ladies and they can't resist him and yeah what
0: have yeah, you chase have chase you heard chase about have you heard that they're doing a, a a remake there's a there's a they're coming back a reboot if you will with uh not with chevy chase but with john ham from Mad Men.
1: okay interesting john ham playing uh playing chevy that's so yeah because john ham's too handsome isn't he
0: he is um but
1: he's also very funny,
0: uh, and he has no issues, you know, taking, you know, making fun of himself when if you see him in things like Dirty Rock or in um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He basically he's a, he's a very funny actor, as and he can be funny. But as you're, you're right, yeah. he's a very handsome guy, which kind of appeals to the, you know, the fact that Fletch is also, you know, a hit with the ladies. He's got that charisma with him when he's doing that. You know, I'm, I'm a John Hamm fan. Yeah. So.
1: I mean, I don't know. I just like, um, I like John Hamm. I like John Hamm. I think Mad Men's phenomenal. But I, I just, I don't know about you, but when, I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast, but when your favourite movie or book start, gets gets made or remade, it's like, oh, you've become very possessive, don't you? You're like, just please, just just don't, you know, you. it's like sacred ground, isn't it? Yep. I can count on one hand all the TV shows,
0: films, that have, or even books that have been remade that I like. Um, and the only ones that really come to mind, Ocean's Eleven and Thomas Crown Affair. Those are the only two in particular that I can think of straight off the bat that they were remade. And mm. I was like, OK, actually, the remake is probably better than the original. Um, very few. I can't think of anything else straight off, the, off my head that the remake was better. But, and I, I did like the original. I do like Chevy Chase. And I think yeah. two things in particular for me, uh, in, in, for me particularly, with the Fletch idea is I liked Chevy Chase, but then the older he got, the older I got, and the more I started hearing about his, you know, off camera antics, especially on things like. Uh, community and in Saturday Night Live about how much he was really being a dick to a lot of the other performers um, kind of make, he brings him down in my opinion and then because I really like John Hamm I'm like yeah let's replace mm-hmm. the, the, that guy so that's why I think I'm okay giving John Hamm the chance. If it was, if it was someone else, if it was like Dave Chappelle, and now you have somebody who's been trying to replace him and might have a little bit of a problem with that, uh, and say, No, nice, no, no, Kevin Hart's not going to be as funny. I know Kevin is still funny, but that's just my own opinion. But uh, yeah. So you don't think you're gonna have high expectations for the remake of Fletch?
1: Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. It's always dis- it's always a bit disheartening when you find out uh, someone you like is an arsehole. Sorry. Uh, it's always a bit disappointing uh, when you find out someone you like isn't very nice.
0: <laughs> We're going to keep both versions for Dave. <laughs> It'll be fine. Like, like, I'm just going to keep both of them.
1: <laughs> it's disappointing. It's like, come on, how good do you need your life to be? Why can't you be gracious? Why can't you be appreciative of the people around you who help you? it's so so strange it's like a failure of logic or i don't know it's like an inflated ego it's just so ugly isn't it
0: and you hear that constantly right it's a, a lot of a lot of uh, not just comedians but also actors singers etc it's sort of there is this this sense, this sense of they're famous so they have to be i mean james corden is, is currently going through that at the moment where loads of stories of how he's been badly behaved in various areas to people, especially people in the service industry, is now coming out. And obviously, when one story comes out, a million more will come out. Whether they're true or not, yeah. they're still there. Yeah. yeah. So, so I take it there are not going to be any kind of stories coming out about you, right, being rude to um, to I, service industry stuff.
1: I hope not, because I've worked in the service industry, so that would be very short-sighted of me to, to forget how... how how bleak it is and then just go in and add to the bleakness of some poor 21 year old who's you know trying to be an actor or whatever
0: or a comedian yeah um,
1: yeah i've probably i've probably been i've probably been horrible to someone and they'll they'll remember it in someone else's eye there's you're always an asshole to some, you're always a you're always a, <laughs> you're always a big meanie to someone somewhere that's all that's all they remember you for right
0: Yeah, like we're being for producer Dave right now with the editing, but it's all good. He's not, he's not. We've
1: all, we've all said something a bit sharp to someone in a supermarket and we didn't mean it in a kind of, do you know who I am? But in that moment, they took it in that way and you came across rude or a bit entitled and you only met them once. So in their eyes, you're that guy forever. You know. So yeah, there's plenty of people who probably hate me, but. Yeah, of course.
0: and and once obviously once you once you get on TV like you were at Live at the Apollo, people are going to begin to think the same kind of thing and maybe approach you with that expectation that that's who you're going to be. But speaking of Live at the Apollo, just want to wanted to ask this because uh, what was it? What was it like with that particular with everything leading up to that particular moment? You know, you getting the call saying asking if you're what was the process of getting you involved with Live at the Apollo? what's how is it backstage getting on there and how did you feel coming off stage after having performed um
1: there's a lot of questions there marcus um it's like a machine gun fire of apollo based yeah just want to throw all of them at you just so that people because people don't listen to this to listen to me they want to listen
0: to you so that's why i'm throwing all those questions so i can go silent and then hear you talk
1: you can go and make yourself a
0: cup of tea if you like and i'll just absolutely i'm getting myself a coffee so (laughs) you, you know you can
1: start winding down when you see me come back in the room I'll hear you pottering around, rearranging your wardrobe, putting your shoes in order of favourite. Um, I'll, uh, All right, so, the, so I knew that Apollo were coming to watch me. I knew that the producer of Apollo was coming to watch me at the comedy store. I'd been told that he was coming to see me. I'd met him a few times, and I kind of felt like he maybe didn't really think I was right for the show or whatever, but th- then last year I heard that he was coming to watch me, uh, on Friday at the Comedy Store. And so on the Thursday I went along and did my set and had a really nice time and had a really good gig the day before. Uh, and my agent was there and he came up to me and said, oh, by the way, the producer's here tonight. I didn't want to tell you before the gig, um, well done. And so I had a really brilliant gig in front of him, in front of the producer. And then and then I went away and thought, okay, well, I've done, you know, what else can I do? Um. If they don't choose me now, then you, you, you just sort of accept it, really, because if you've had a brilliant gig. And then on the Monday, I was out in my favourite cafe, having a coffee and a bit of cake. um, God, being a comedian, your lifestyle is so shameful. um, And uh, my agent rang me and said, um, they want to put you on it. And I was like, the wave of happiness. You cannot describe how good you feel when, this show that you've watched since before comedy, this show that every comedian, you know, really wants to do, I think. And they say that you're gonna be on it. And I was like, oh my God, I just couldn't stop smiling. And then they said I wasn't allowed to tell anyone. So I rang my sister and told her and straight away and thought, well, I can tell her, can't I? Um, yeah, and, um, and then there was about, Two weeks before the show where I was just buzzing and I was thinking the greatest thing in the world is this is just the best thing in the world. And then it came around and then they they sent a car to get me and it was in traffic for about an hour and a half moving through London. And it was, you know, when you're in a car and it jolts and the driver accelerates, you know, pointlessly for about four metres at great speed and then slows down again. I basically got out of the car and puked straight away so when i arrived at apollo it looked like i was a bag of nerves but i was just like sick. and then there was about five hours of just getting ready and having my you know having my shirt and trousers ironed and my shoes polished and pacing up and down and uh, double dropping a prozac um yeah man rock and roll and then uh, so i was quite zen <laughs> i was quite relaxed um and then yeah you're standing backstage waiting behind the big screen the big old Apollo screen that you've only seen from one angle, and you're behind it waiting to go on with the smoke machine, you know, being activated, all the producers with their earpieces and their screens, and you see the whole, you know, you see the whole kind of um, mechanics of this thing that you've watched, and it's really strange. And then before you know it, you're walking out. And it's really hard not to have a slightly out of body experience in that moment because you've only ever seen people walk into shot. And it's just like, and then you have to get out and you just carry on and you do a gig. That was basically it. Do the gig, do the gig, do the gig. Forget about the Apollo, forget about the cameras, do exactly what you would normally do at any gig, go out, have a good time. Muck about if you want to drop a bit, if you don't want to do it, if you see something in the crowd you know talk about it whatever it is just treat it like a normal gig and um i did and it went so well it went so well it blew me it blew me away it did it's just like wow so yeah um i think i've answered most of the questions you did
0: you did and there was one last question right at the end um and i'll I'll ask that question in a second i just want to say i really enjoyed your performance when i saw live the polo stuff and i was like okay this is. Because uh, I'd never heard of you before then. And then I, I saw the performance and I was like, okay, this is uh, that's a good performance. And then I got the Im- email about you wanting to do the, the show because of Anthem. And then I went mm. back and I re-watched them, and I was like, okay, that's good. That's when I was. I then saw the roast battle stuff, which I, I thought that was unfair. I thought you did win that, but that was just on me anyway. Um, but yes, the last question I asked was, walking off stage after having finished the gig, What were the first few thoughts that flashed through your mind, walking off stage, knowing you've just done Live at the Apollo?
1: I just felt felt really calm because I felt like I couldn't have done anything else. I felt like I did the job. So I was really, really calm, but also like really high. But in a very calm way, I was like, there wasn't really that many thoughts. It was more like, all right, you know, you've just put me on the biggest show in stand-up and i just did my act i didn't change i didn't get nervous i didn't freeze you know i didn't go into myself and stand there like a weird statue i just felt kind of like okay cool did it you know it it wasn't like pride or arrogance it was just i just knew that the thing that had been put in front of me was was the thing that i'd done and i'd done it properly and i was pleased with how it had gone and i just couldn't have felt better And then people started appearing and hugging me and smiling and laughing. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Other people seemed to agree that this was really good and started to hear what people were feeling about it. And I was like, yeah, it just, it's very calm. It's like a, you know, when you feel like you've done the job well, you feel nice. You know, it's like when you've hoovered your floor well. You yeah, look at the floor, and you're like, I've done a nice job there, but just done a bigger scale. Satisfaction of the job, <laughs> well done. So it's, it's yeah, good, excellent. Um, oh, but also, cause... the massive buzz of doing it in front of 4,000 people and knowing that the cameras were there and that I looked handsome. Yeah. That's well, important. okay. That's well,
0: we're pushing it a bit, but I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> <Hey. laughs> no, like I said, you're you de- very definitely proud of yourself because that is you're right. It is in the UK is what it's one of the biggest, it, most seen shows uh, in terms of comedy. It's going to be repeated on uh, BBC and then on Dave and then come back on BBC and so on. So you, you're definitely going to get the opportunity. That's going to be uh, rewatched over and over again. People can go on YouTube and watch it as well. Uh, it's Tom Ward, uh, Live at the Apollo. But you're now doing your your comedy tour, Anthem, uh, which mm-hmm. is going, we're going to put the show note, in the show notes the dates and the locations so people can go check it out. Now, Thank you. Um, well, I, this question I always ask, and then we'll go back to my pinned topic about the Joker, uh, <laughs> your social media tags. Uh, if people want to follow you on social media, how can they follow
1: you? They can go on Instagram, uh, Tom Ward Comedian and Facebook, also Tom Ward Comedian. And they can find all my tour dates and everything else to do with me on my Linktree, which is also Tom Ward Comedian. Do you do TikTok? Uh, no, I don't. I've is tried. there a particular reason or you just, it's just not one of those? I've tried people. it, it gives me a headache. I don't have a smartphone, so it's very hard for me to do. Um, And yeah, I just find it overwhelming. It gives me, it just makes my eyes hurt yeah again yeah, tiktok it's just it, I, I
0: only do that for the show just to get clips and put it on there and and cycle it through just but uh, other than that watch for like five minutes and you and that's the thing as well tiktok and new youtube shorts they basically mm. they, they, you might have what 10 second to 30 second clips on there but they steal your life away it's like mm. if, if i were to take all that time back that I've spent watching TikTok videos and YouTube Shorts, and I add it back to my life, I'd probably be back in nappies because of how long it takes. Just, it just takes all that time for you. But uh, yeah, avoid TikTok. Um, just Thanks. stick with stick with the regular I feel stuff. vindicated. Yes, absolutely. Now coming back to my pin topic, the Joker. Your yes. your thoughts on the Joker? You said one of the reasons you liked it was because it's a, an exploration of uh, mental health and. Uh, it, it's showing it from the the perspective of someone who's going through that particular going through a breakdown because that's what you know the, the the I can't remember his name in it um but Joaquin Fink's character the Joker is going through a mental breakdown and while there might be a few people supporting generally society as a whole is not um and one uh, playing devil's advocate um <laughs> okay um. This is not my own opinion. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Uh, a lot of people have argued that it is the poor poor white man complaint. What are your thoughts about that particular argument? It was like, oh, look, I'm a poor white man suffering through. What is your opinion on that argument about why the Joker just seems to be about someone who's whining about something? Again, you mentioned you know, the whole idea of victimhood, right? Uh, being placed into it with that mm. juxtaposition what is your thought on that argument about the, the character in the Joker not really being um I maybe not he was validating his opinion because obviously he, has, he it starts off with the mental illness that he's having but being held up at the very end as this heroic character by all of these people who are just there to smash up stuff what is your opinion on that
1: Well, it is a it is a revenge film, isn't it? Essentially, and you know, cinema does tap into our need to see revenge played out. I think we enjoy watching people, you know, uh, fight back against the man or whatever it is, or fight back against uh, personal grievances. We like watching people shoot yuppies on a on a on a subway. We like that. We go, yeah, I want to shoot those guys. They're annoying. (laughs) <laughs> so we we're glad when he whips out the gun and shoots them, you know, and, and but I think the element of revenge is just like, you know, you just enjoy that as a spectacle because you're having to suppress a load of old stuff in your life to do with things that annoy you or things you have to let slide. So we, I think we enjoy watching that play out. That Um He's just a whinging white guy. I don't know if, I don't know if that's, I think that's just part of the narrative we now have Uh that, if you're white, you shouldn't complain. I just think that's nonsense. Um, I think you shouldn't. I think you shouldn't whinge in general. You should be grateful for what you have. But he's he's suffering and he's clearly disturbed. Um, and I I I'm not saying what he does is great and all the rest. I'm not like yeah, shoot the guy. You know, I'm not like. You literally
0: just said that. You said, Should. "Yeah, I felt so yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, I Yogi. was
1: about. To, no, I was talking about another bit. I was talking about oh, another okay. bit, but I, I didn't. Want oh to yeah, give sure, it away. sure, the, yeah, the end. The, um, you know that. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but I don't want to give it away in case anyone hasn't seen it. But yeah, no, it's just that I relate to, I relate to his alienation. I, re, I relate to his, his sadness and his longing, and I just feel for him. I feel, I've felt I think I've felt the way he's felt in terms of being incredibly sad and alone and therefore I relate to him and I just go oh yeah so I don't think everything that happens I, I kind of I kind of the other stuff where you know gang of people smashing up the city it's like whatever I'm just like drawn to the 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 fact that he's so lonely so lost so abandoned um, and it isn't some sort of cultural critique. I'm not going, oh, society turns its back on us white guys. I'm, none of that shit. Uh, none of that stuff. Sorry, Dave. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and uh, it's just, yeah, I just feel his pain. That's it. It sounds pretentious, but I just kind of I feel for him. And then it's seeing the various smug characters that come into view when you are vulnerable. I even think it's very clever how they they play out the comedy club thing. You know, the scene in the comedy club where he's doing yes. a set. Yes. And they have that comedian just before him talking about, oh, yeah. Uh, I think women and men, I think women uh, choose a partner in a different way to men. I think uh, we uh, women choose it like choosing a a car and men choose it, like choosing a car a parking space. And it just, this whole sort of comparison between that and the crowd are liking it. And I'm just going, I'm just like, Oh, they've it's so clever the way they've chosen really hack uh, style of comedy to go on just before the Joker, because it's working and it's what Bill Hicks would call joke peddler, like a yes. joke peddler, just, yes. just feeding crap to people and it's fine you know it's nice people like it they laugh and it's neat but then the Joker his set is horrible and doesn't you know he just laughs and he's all a mess but are you you're aware that the world he exists in is kind of plastic and fake and disregarding and rewards idiots and all that sort of stuff so it's like I like the cultural stuff I like the 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 way that they show his alienation, so. I, I, I do
0: agree, I do agree with you on that aspect um, because and uh, it, it, it is a lot of things. Having interviewed a number of comedians, they always seem to gravitate towards that aspect of uh, of going against other people who are trying to please the crowd. I mean, the, the whole idea of being a comedian is you're going on stage to make people laugh. Um, yeah, but there's always this feeling where you hate the comedian who goes on there. You even mentioned the term hack, hack comedian, just doing the same comparison. Men do this while women do this. Black guys do this while white guys do this and so on and so forth, which is, is it's it was, it was big in the 90s, but now it's different. And then you have comedians like Patrice O'Neill, who died in America. Andy Kaufman, we'll talk about him in Man on the Moon, who are so edgy that crowds either really love them or absolutely hate them mm-hmm. and a lot of comedians have referenced those people as ah, these are my idols not necessarily because the rest of the public like them but because they're brave enough to go on stage and do something completely different so I see yeah. how you latched you, you sort of that, you zoned in on that as you're a comedian in my opinion anyway as a comedian you're looking at that particular scene and seeing how he is whether he goes on there and he's funny or not uh, because you see later on that you know, a, a different perspective of what happens on that night um, mm. where yeah. where he clearly does not win the audience over, unlike what he thought when he was standing on stage. But you mm. kind of sympathize with him in that regard. So, um, yeah.
1: Okay, I, I see why you're not.
0: Last question I want to ask, Ed, because I know you're busy and you've got other interviews you want to do. Can you talk me through the posters that you've got in your room?
1: Oh, um, all right, so we have uh, Wild at Heart over there, the old David Lynch film. Yeah, f- French version. And then we have a documentary about Michael Hutchins from NXS. Uh, it's a very sad documentary. And then, all right, I'll spin my computer around so you can see it. We have behind you here, we have Call Me By Your Name, okay. which is a beautiful film. And then over there, we have Tape Heads which I tried to watch but hated uh, but I love the poster Tim Robbins. Tapeheads is the only one I don't know. Yeah, Tapeheads is just like a wacky comedy. Uh from the late 80s and it's just really annoying. It's really annoying. But you have the poster though. <laughs> I love the poster though. I just think it's a great <laughs> poster. Cusack and Robbins, what great guys. Um and then we have you uh, two uh, from the album Rattle and Hum. So that yeah. was a poster that I I uh, got from a music shop in the late '90s. I think. That's okay, about it, really.
0: that's really cool. Oh, yeah. so uh, Cusack and Tim uh, uh, Tim Robbins um, was yeah. that before High Fidelity? Uh, yeah. Okay. It was about Eighty-eight. Okay. Okay
1: but it, um, it's really annoying don't watch it it'll just annoy you watch the first 10 minutes and you'll see what i mean it's just so like self-aware and it's like ugh
0: fair enough i i avoid it i i I've, I've found um since turning since turning 40 um i don't want to i, I don't want to watch things that annoy me unless they're she hulk um and then <laughs> I'll, just, I'll watch it just to uh <laughs> just to keep the fire going it's like uh but yes that
1: and um, the tequila Oh, yes. away, man.
0: exactly i don't want to i don't want to watch she Hulk before i go on stage because i think that might put me in a bad frame of mind to try and go <laughs> into comedy tequila on the other hand will make me happy and then i'll go on stage yeah. and try and make other people happy so tom Good thank bad. you very much for joining us today and talking about your show anthem uh if, and, and and your life in comedy we wish you all the best uh after let, one last little i said one last question three times now um after the tour
1: of anthem what are you working on next? Another tour. Okay. Working on another show for yeah. So hopefully in a couple of years I'll go back to Edinburgh, and you know, get back on it.
0: You say a couple of years, so you're, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna, not yeah, next,
1: yeah. Year, next year, not year I'm still August 2024. All right. <laughs> yeah. And we're looking
0: forward to Anthem and everything else that you have going forward. Um, and when you want to promote anything else, or well, if you want to come and chat about uh, other stuff, uh, feel free to come back on the show. We'll have we're happy to have you on. And that was my conversation with Tom Ward about his show Anthem. Go check him out. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening to the show and thank you very much to Resonance FM. My name is Marcus Ako. You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thank you very much for listening and speak to you next time.